Right, hi, my name is Richard Beatty and this is the Creators Podcast edition episode number one. So, um, first of all, I want to explain to you why I created the uh, Creators Podcast. Um, obviously, I'm a creator, I'm a tattoo artist and I'm always creating different things, but um, I, I meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people that are creative people and that goes everybody from from businesses to um, scientists to craftspeople to, to, to artists. And I wanted to create something that we could showcase these 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 creators in a in a way that helps them put out their their business and and what they do and hopefully inspire other people to do the same as well so um we're in funny times at the minute it's uh the 2nd of November uh today and um in the UK and Boris has just announced that we're going to be going into another lockdown so um you know, it was it was difficult for for everybody going into the into the last lockdown, and nobody really knew what was going on and what to do. So, um, it was a, it was a struggle, and and so, so so part of this is to to help support people um, through this time. Hopefully, uh, give people ideas uh, as to what they could maybe do because there's a lot of people that have lost their jobs and um, a lot of people struggling. So through this, if we can um, create some inspiration for for other people who have maybe lost their jobs to go out and start their own business or while just while you've got like time on lockdown to, um, to fill that time in and do something creative. So that's the whole that's the whole idea behind the podcast anyway and uh i'm going to be bringing in a lot of my friends that have uh done what i think's absolutely amazing um projects or creations or businesses or just absolutely fantastic characters also some of my my clients as well um it'd be great if we can get some of the the conversations that we have while i'm tattooing if we can get those those out to to people to listen to because there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of uh wow stories and i certainly enjoy the conversations anyway so um i think it would be good to be able to let you guys hear some of them as well so um so getting into things um before i interview anybody i think it's best if uh, I explain a bit about myself, um, why, you know, uh, why I'm doing this, and 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 uh, how how I how I came to be doing this. So, um, I'm going to start when I was a kid. I was born in 1973, and um, I was a twin. I've got a twin brother. I'm two minutes older, so that means that I've been able to pull rank all my life, <laughs> and. Um, my parents were, um, my dad was a plumber and uh, my mum worked for the electricity board. She also had a part-time job on a on a radio station, a country and western radio show. So um, so when I was a kid, like I was always drawing things and um, my, my earliest memories of my, my art is, is at four years old and it, that's because I, I did a three-dimensional drawing of a, a car, which to now, even like like 
me as a professional artist, I'm a, I'm a tattooist. And um, so to drawing in 3D when you're four years old is, is pretty young. And I can remember my parents always going on about it. Um, you know, Richard drew a three-dimensional car. And um, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. But looking back, it's definitely something that um, was the starting signs of my, my art. So... Um, time went on and obviously I was like constantly drawing cars that was my biggest passion anything with an engine really and uh, when I was eight I got my first motorbike and I'd been pestering my dad for a motorbike and he he bought us this motorbike that didn't work so uh, thinking that it was going to if it obviously didn't work I wouldn't be riding about falling off it so um, I spent a year taking this thing to bits and um, trying to trying to get it to work and I had it all in bits and um, eventually I put it back together and there was only a few bolts left over and it still didn't work and um, then one of my friends came around one day and he says have you tried putting a battery on it and I was like well it's a motocross bike that don't have batteries and he says yeah but this is really old motocross bike he says try a battery on it and uh, we put a battery on it and it started first time so that was me riding about on, on, on that thing for a couple of years to come but um because of me interest in motorbikes it was uh it wasn't long before i was and, and art it wasn't long before i was doing paint jobs on motorbikes so i actually did my first custom paint job on a motorbike when i was eight and uh when i was eight i also stated to my parents and and my teachers that i wanted to be a car designer so obviously i had a huge passion for cars and um when I, you know, like again, like saying something like that when you when you're eight, I suppose other kids might say I want to be a fireman or uh, you know a farmer or you know digger driver or whatever. But I was saying that I wanted to be a car designer, and um, it's it's something that I, I I never really gave up that idea. But the teacher says, um, okay, Richard, stick in at school. You need to get a good education and get good qualifications, and then you'll be able to go to college, and um, you, you know eventually you'll maybe be able to go and go and work for a car company, being a car designer. So that's how the the you know the school laid laid that out for us. So um, I was always the sort of kid that hung about with all the all the kids. I was. I was quite feral with uh, being out on my motorbike all the time and didn't spend much time at home and hanging about with, you know, probably what most parents would have thought the wrong crowd. And um, so by the time I was 11, uh, some of my older friends had tattoos and I was like, you got pictures on you? How did, how did that happen? You know, and like, I didn't know anything about tattooing at the time. So... Uh, one of the lads says, "Well, you can get a you can get a pin, you know, they're like sewing pins, and put the thread, put a bit of thread through the hole, and then wrap it around the the pin down to the tip, and leave just a little bit hanging out, and um, you dip that in the ink, and then you stab that into the skin, and uh, that you can make a tattoo like that. So there you go, everybody. There's a there's how you how you do tattoos on yourself. So." Um, First of all, I, 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 <laughs> I nicked, uh, nicked some Indian ink from school and uh, had to go like doing dots on myself and stuff. And I tried with different stuff, poster paint and uh, whatnot. And then 
once I realised the process, the process works. You know, only you can definitely leave a mark on the skin by uh, poking ink into it. Um, I, I started tattooing my friends, so like they were all like, "Oh, I want it." Well, I, I don't know whether they were, "I want a tattoo," or I was, "Do you want a tattoo?" But um, either way, I started tattooing my friends, and um, at the time we were listening to. A lot of rockabilly music and King Kurt and stuff like that. And there was a band called the Stray Cats. And uh, the logo was this, like, really cool cat. So um, I was I was pretty good at drawing it. So because I, was, I wasn't I was making stencils or anything before, I was just drawing it straight onto skin. So I was drawing these cats onto the skin with a biro and then uh, tattooing them. So half the class ended up with this cat. But I realised that it was really slow and... Um, you know, it wasn't easy to do a straight line when you're poking away with dots sort of thing. So um, I wanted to make it faster. So I was 12 by this time. And um, I, I obviously being mechanically minded with the motorbikes and all that sort of stuff. Um, I decided to make a tattoo machine. Now, I didn't know what a tattoo machine was. I, I didn't know that they actually existed. But I knew that I needed to make the needle go faster and be more controllable. So I pinched a Braun independent electric razor off my dad, like a battery powered razor, and um, took it to bits and rigged up the needle so that the shaft that normally drove the blade now drove the needle. And um, wired it up to a 12 volt motorbike battery. And yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a tattoo machine. It wasn't like a, a modern how a tattoo machine should be, but it certainly worked. Um, so I started on some bigger tattoos because I was able to do bigger tattoos. And obviously, like, you know, my mates at school were all a similar age as well. Um, so it wasn't long before uh, parents had complained to teachers and... Then it got back to the headmaster and then I got called into school and a severe bollocking and kicked out of school for, for tattooing when I was 12. So that was sort of the end of my uh, first tattooing career. Um, I thought I'd better leave it after that, you know. Um, there was people having to... There was people's parents taking them to the doctors and... and they were having to go to the hospital and getting these tattoos removed by acid. Yeah, that's how they used to remove tattoos. So these kids ended up with scars instead of tattoos. The tattoos were better than the scars, but hey, it is what it is. So I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, by the way. You know, it's definitely not the way to get into tattooing. It's just the way that it happened for me. Um, there was nobody telling me to do anything right and there was nobody stopping me doing anything wrong really either so um but yeah i certainly wouldn't uh recommend it but as you can see i was um i was kind of like the black sheep of the family at the same time my brother um he was like school prefect and you know top marks in in all his uh tests and stuff and um and, and i was just busy sort of causing chaos and riding motorbikes and tattooing people and setting fire to things. Um, when I was a kid, I used to have a, like a recurring dream that I was going to be grow up to be an arsonist because I just loved burning stuff so much. So um, 
turned out that I just really like flames, but uh, I haven't burnt any big buildings down or anything. So, um, yeah, so um, as time went on, obviously, I was still into my motorbikes and that, and um, I'd, uh, I'd been building a scooter engine in my bedroom, which didn't really look like a bedroom anymore. You know, it was, um, I'd, uh, I'd painted murals all over the walls and, um, but yeah, I was, uh, I was building this engine in my bedroom and then I decided that I would paint the motorbike in my bedroom. My mum was out at work and so I carted this motorbike frame upstairs into my bedroom, turned my bedroom into a spray booth and started painting this motorbike. The house was absolutely stinking of paint and time was knocking on and I'm thinking, oh God, my mum's going to be back. So... I got it finished and got it back together. Now I don't know why I put it together. That that was wasn't the best of idea because now I had to get it down the stairs. <laughs> so yeah, I'm 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 here coming down the stairs with this motorbike, and I've got my foot on the back brake. So as I'm sliding it down the stairs, it was actually ripping the carpet off of the, each step behind us. And I get I'm about halfway down the stairs, and my mum walked in the front door, and. Uh, Obviously caught red-handed again. The house was stinking of paint, and um, I'd pulled the carpet off the stairs. You can imagine her face. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, and um, not long after that, I had an accidental fire in my bedroom. Um, I'd been playing with candles and um, fell asleep, caused a bit of a fire, and my room was badly damaged. And that was when I when I really started going to town with the murals. Um, Luckily, I didn't die. I think my dog saved my life, to be honest with you. Um, and um, so when it, when when the room was repaired, they asked us what they wanted, what color I wanted. I just says painted grey, like a light grey, and uh, they, they didn't understand why. But I just wanted to use that as a base for painting murals on. So after that, I just painted a load of murals on it, and then um, my friends started asking us to paint murals on their walls. And then their parents started asking us to paint murals. And then a lady who worked at the hospital uh, asked us to paint the children's ward on the infirmary. And that was my first sort of paying job when I was 14, painting murals. And since then, I've uh, I've got paid for my art ever since. So you could say that I've been a professional artist since I was, since I was 14. Um, so I failed school. I got a D in art, I got a G in physics, and that was that was uh, that was all I got because I didn't go to any of the other exams. And uh, I was destined to fail. School says I was destined to fail. My parents said I was destined to fail. My brother said I was destined to fail. Everybody said I was destined to fail. Um, but as you can probably work out, I didn't really listen to anything that anybody said to me. Uh, I didn't like school, school didn't like me, uh, so the feeling was mutual and um, still to this day I do not see any purpose that school served me at all. My teacher, my art teacher told us that I would never make any money at art um, and yeah it was just a, um, I went through school sort of and I guess I kind of enjoyed it really but just for the, just for the DOS not the, uh, not the uh education side of it maybe i should have got a bit more about out of the education i don't know but i don't think i've ever needed it you know and uh 
I've uh, still to this day I'm not a not a big fan of school the education system and uh, what what it doesn't do for people so um so when I left school I went through a few random jobs uh, my dad got us a job in a in a tire garage and um then I went on to doing window sales um I got married when I was 19 uh met, met her when I was um uh, on the windowsill job and um, so I got married quite early and obviously then babies start coming along and um, so at this point now I'm uh, needing to keep myself uh, busy to support my family so um, I was working on the I, I ended up with a job working on the roads um, it's quite well paid but a lot of hard work I actually destroyed my back doing that so um, but I'd still been I'd still been drawing cars you know all the time in my spare time, that was still my hobby, drawing cars. So uh, by the time I was 19, I'd designed a car and I really wanted to build it. So um, I bought a welder and um, I bought a, an old Mark One Astra and I started started welding, you know, practicing welding on this, on this old car out the front of my house. And... Um, one day I was walking home from work and I was going past a petrol station and there was a there was a guy in the petrol station with a, a buggy on a trailer and he was uh he was washing this buggy and uh I looked at it and I thought, that looks like the chassis that I've designed for my car. So I went over and had a look at it and the guy comes out the out the station and got talking to him and um this thing had two engines in it, you know, like two motorbike engines. And my head was blown. I was like, <laughs> "Wow, um, this is this is what I this is what I want to do." You know, I want to build something like this. And he says, "Well, come down and have a come down to the workshop and uh, you know have, have a look around there." And that I actually ended up uh, mechanicing for the guy. And uh, um, so I was going to the meetings and I was looking after the car while you know he was racing and I was filling it up and doing the tire pressure and cleaning off all the mud. It was a an autograss car, class ten autograss car, so so it's like in a unlimited section. Hence it being allowed to have two engines. It actually had the same power to weight ratio as a Formula One car. Um, so <laughs> there was a day we were at a race meeting and. Uh, I don't know whether he was just feeling too lazy or he'd got too fat, but uh, either way, he couldn't get in the car. And uh, he, he says to me, he says, why don't you drive it? So I was like, really? Um, I'd never driven this car before. Uh, so the first time I drove it was off the trailer into the pits, from the pits to the start line, and then the start line into a race. And now I'm sitting in a in a 300 brake horsepower buggy that um, is definitely the fastest car on the on the on the start line. And my strategy was to um, to wait for everybody else to go, and then uh, I would um, follow them into the corner. Because, like I said, I'd never driven this car before, so I let everybody. Uh, the rope goes down, and everybody shoots off, and uh, then I. <laughs> nailed it and um man this thing accelerated faster than anything i'd ever been in it felt like the back was trying to push its way through the front it was just an unbelievable feeling and um i actually got to the first corner before everybody else uh overshot and just about crashed its span 
Um, but um, yeah, I, I managed to keep up with them and over the space of the day, I think I won two races. So um, yeah, that was uh, that, that was my first sort of, uh, that, it was a really inspirational moment because I, I was like, I have got to get me one of these and I, I want one on the road as well. I, I want something like this on the road. It's just, it, it has to be. Um, so um, I was, uh, at this point now, I was very busy. I actually started working for the guy who owned the car and um, I was I was driving a white van around uh, England and Scotland delivering parcels for him and um he uh his base where he had the van and the buggy uh there was a it was like a haulage yard and um over the space of the, a week uh i would load 20 tons of whey powder into a into a big tanker it was i don't know why they needed it in the tanker it was in bags on pallets and they needed it loose into a tanker so I was lifting it up with a forklift truck onto the top of the tanker and I had to slash all the bags open and drop all these bags into the into the into the truck all the powder into the truck so I was working on the van through the day on a night I was loading the van up again and then doing a load of the powder and I'd do like 20 tons of that a week um and on a weekend I was working two 13 hour security shifts on the same haulage yard so I was there a lot um, and I was working a lot. Um, it did not do um, my relationship much good, but um, yeah, we ended up getting divorced. And um, it was around that time that um, I got the got the garage. Obviously, it got cold outside, and I didn't have a lot of time to do the welding on the on the Mark One Astra and that. So um, we went halfs on a garage to store the buggy in, and so that I could work on on my car. And uh, that was really the the start of the back cave. Um, so by this time I was twenty one. It was about nineteen ninety six, and um, that's that's when I when I opened back cars. Um, so I'd, uh, I'd I'd been welding my car up, and people had been coming in, uh, my friends and that, saying the car had failed its MOT and. Um, you know, can you can you weld it up and that? So I was I was kind of getting paid to weld by this point, and obviously I was really busy with the three jobs and doing all this as well. So that was pretty much my life at this point. Obviously, I was divorced by this time, and you know, um, all sorts of chaos going on there. But um, the uh, it got to the point where I was sick of fixing people's cars. So I says, right, I'm sick of this. I want to do what I want to do to your cars instead of, you know, just fixing, you know, fixing repairs. So the first car that came in after I'd said that was a Vauxhall Nova and he'd had a front end smash, he needed a new front bumper and stuff. And I says, right, I want to do what I want to your car and you're going to have to pay us. And he, he actually agreed. Um, so I spent about, <clears throat> now I could say three months on here, but like, I don't know how long it was. It was probably a bit longer to be fair, more like six. Um, but anyway, I spent quite a long time on this car, building this car. And uh, when it rolled out the garage, it actually got a, I think it was a seven, five or seven page feature in Total Vauxhall magazine. Um, obviously, I'd done like a full body kit on it and a fancy paint job and stuff and everything was like custom made. So, um, yeah, that was my first mag magazine feature. And it sort of, uh, it sort of just snowballed from there, really. Um, more cars, obviously the custom stuff. And I really started to get a, 
get a reputation for it. So, um, yeah, I was... Obviously, there was a lot going on at the garage and um, a lot of jobs going through the garage and there was one significant one that will always stick in my memory. Um, I painted a car for a guy and... um, it was a colour change. He had a Ford Escort and he wanted it. It was red and he wanted it painted blue. And um, so as I was working on his car, he was turning up at the garage and he had this big dog. It was a Rottweiler and it wasn't the standard issue Rottweiler. I think he'd been giving it steroids or something. The fucking thing was horrible. And um, I like dogs, but this was not a nice dog. And um, so one day he... he he uh, tied it up outside the garage and he nipped into town and this, this dog dragged the, the big metal cage that it was tied to over to the, the, the door of the garage and it, it it was like it was flipping, just an absolute savage thing. And uh, we couldn't get out the garage, so that was me stuck in the garage for like three hours. So when he came back, I told him to never bring the dog to the garage again. Um, anyway, I painted his car and um, off he goes and didn't see him for about a year and then... He pulls up outside the garage and uh, gets out his friend's car out the passenger seat and he uh, gets out and he hands us this letter. And uh, I says to him, what's this? It's not my birthday. And he says, just just read it. So I opens this letter and <laughs> reads it. And um, it basically said, uh, he'd put his name and address at the top on the right-hand side like you do. And uh, it said, dear Richard, when you painted my car over a year ago, I think you overcharged me by £100. I want my £100 back by Thursday, or I am going to, and this was on the Monday, or I am going to. And then the next three and a half pages of A4 were what him and his dog were going to do to us. So it was a full-on death threat. I was going to be like Richard Sandwiches, and it was just some like absolute bizarre, sick fantasy, really. And... um so I took it to the police, and I says, what do you think of this? And they says, you can't do that. I says, I mean, he'd signed this at the bottom as well. And they says, you can't do that. And I says, I'm glad you said that, because you want to see the size of this dog. And uh, they says, don't worry, Mr. Beatty, you, you, you go back to work, and we'll uh, we'll go and sort Mr. Mark out. And uh, so a few hours later, I get a phone call off the police, and they says, uh, right, so if Mr. Mark comes anywhere near you, lock yourself in a building. And I says, well, I thought you were going to gonna go and arrest him and throw away the key. And they says, yeah, we've been to see him and we've had a word. I said, what do you mean you've had a word? You said you were going to arrest him and throw away the key. Uh, they says, yeah, well, we've had a word and we don't think he's going to do anything. I says, why haven't you done anything? And they says, well, it turns out Mr. Mark's a registered schizophrenic and it just wouldn't be worth the paperwork. So I was like, right, so what am I supposed to do? And he says, if it comes anywhere near you, lock yourself in a building. I says, right, I'm a business. My doors are open. I'm underneath the car fixing an exhaust. And Mr. Mark walks in with his dog and his dog's chewing my leg off. Is that round about the time you'd like me to phone you? Obviously, I wasn't as calm as what I am now when I'm telling this story. But, yeah, I was pretty gobsmacked. Um, And... uh, yeah, so uh, it it, it kind of left us... It was a horrible situation because obviously I was working late at the garage and I was there by myself and um, the police were not prepared to do anything about this official death threat. And uh, 
yeah, so it left me with uh, quite a lot of stress and and uh, trauma. Nothing actually happened, um, but yeah, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a, a an experience that you'd expect to have, like through um, just trying to do your job, you know. But um, yeah, that was certainly one of the one of the jobs that stood out. And another one was um, uh, a Mitsubishi FTO. Um, this was in around about 2000 now. And um, so I'd, I'd, it was quite a significant job, this, because it, uh, it changed everything uh, about back cars, really. Um, so I'd taken out my first advert, you know, as a business year, uh, as you grow in and you think, right, I need to, need to do some advertising. And so I'd taken out my first advert in the Thompson local directory. And um, someone in Manchester well, actually, Warrington had uh, had seen this ad and got in touch with us. So he was he'd been doing the car shows. He had an electronics company, and uh, this guy's actually going to be coming on the podcast as well. It, I'll keep that one for later, though. But um, yeah, it'll be a fascinating story. I won't go into this bit too too much, really, but because uh, we'll be going over it again. But um, he, he contacted me because he's seen that, like, obviously I was out there looking for work and um, he needed a vehicle to represent his business properly um, at the car shows that he was going to. So um, I ended up, uh, we've we, we done a deal. Now, this is an unusual deal as far as a, a paint job on a car is concerned. Um, I could see what he could do for me and he could see what I could do for him. So... Um, we made an agreement that I would paint his car, turn it into a full custom show car, and I wouldn't charge him. The deal was that I got to go with that car to every show that it went to, and he would, you know, look after us while I was there, hotel and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, entry into the show and stuff like that. So, although I didn't get paid for it, and it was an incredibly expensive paint job that I put on it. Um, it opened the door to um, higher level car shows for me um, and the first time that car debuted was at, at Max Power um, at the XL Centre in London so um, from there um, we we went all over the country with it every weekend we were at shows with it from, from Santa Pod to the NEC in Birmingham and even into Europe so um, although a lot of people might say, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this stuff for free. What that car did was uh, it got me way more work than the value of that car ever was. And it got me to so many shows and promoted my business to such a level that I couldn't have achieved in that time by myself. So, um, yeah, things were really flying. And um, it wasn't long after that that... Uh, um, well, what happened was I actually had to move my garage um, because the, the, the yard that it was in was getting sold to build houses. And they gave us a month to move. So obviously a month to find a premises and move was nigh on impossible. But we managed to find a uh, an old factory out in the countryside that um, that was available. And we took that. It seemed like a great idea at the time, but because it was so remote, um, there was a... Uh, let's just say a local, local little baghead uh, that was um, watching us come and go uh, as we as we came and went to, to you know left work, and um, 
he started like a a series of small robberies that got bigger and bigger until fourth robbery later he absolutely cleaned us out um so it was it was it was torture. We were, we were actually staying in the garage overnight to try and like protect the stuff. It was because it was so remote. We, we, we couldn't really defend it, you know. The the um, the alarms. It was alarmed and everything. But um, yeah, we ended up uh, fourth robbery. He absolutely cleaned us out, and we were shut sh- shut down for six months. Um, we got a new premises on a secure site, and then. Um, Obviously, I felt like paranoid, so we went to a you know a gated um, industrial estate. Um, started getting back on my feet again, and because um, my involvement with all the car shows and everything, it seemed inevitable that I was gonna uh, you know that, that I should organise my own car show, and um, we did that first uh, in conjunction with someone out at Workington um, at the Speedway track, and then. Again, same same team um, for Cruise Fest Northwest in two thousand and six. So that show was actually actually televised. Um, from a business point of view, again, seemed like a fantastic idea, promotion for the garage and all that, and uh, obviously a, a cash flowing project. But um, it didn't work out that way. Um, the turnout for the show was really really bad because. Um, through the process of the show, we didn't realise that uh, we'd booked it on the first day of the World Cup starting, because I don't have anything to do with football, so I didn't even know the World Cup was on. So, um, yeah, and then, just to make matters worse, they announced that England was playing on the first day of the World Cup, so um, that caused the turnouts to be an absolute flop, and we lost a fortune on on that show. So, um, you know, even when things can uh, look like a fantastic idea nine times out of ten, well, not nine times out of ten, but a lot of the time things don't work out right, you know, and it can be, you can put all the effort into something in the world, but it doesn't mean that it's going to it's gonna necessarily work. There's other factors that can come into it. So, um, But as far as the competitive side would go, and we were doing doing well on that side, I'd... Uh, um, by the, by this point, I'd done two done done paintwork on two cars that had won best in Britain, um, and um, yeah, things things were things were really rocking. So the show flopped anyway, and then the year after, in two thousand and seven, my dad died from stomach cancer, um, and then the recession came in two thousand and eight. So obviously, the kind of work that I was doing, it was very uh excessive and, and luxurious and certainly unnecessary um so my customers really started to to disappear at that point and um not be able to pay us um which eventually caused me not to be able to pay my bills and in 2008 I ended up going bankrupt with back cars and um yeah lost everything through that uh, it was a really stressful time and uh, obviously with, with my dad dying and that as well um that caused depression and anxiety and um yeah it was a it was probably the lowest point of my life really um so i was having to go to the doctors to uh you know for, for happy pills and shit and um they were giving us uh beta blockers to to stop this pain in my chest that what they were saying was anxiety and um so because i was having to go to the doctors I thought, 
well, that guy with the dog, he had this, he had this thing that that could only be described as really a, a loony license. You know, he seemed to have a, a get out of jail free card because he was able to uh, threaten to murder me and get away with it. And I'd always thought, you know, that's a get out of jail free card. That so, I thought, seeing as I'm having to go to the doctors, I'm going to wind them up and see if I can get my loony license. So, um, yeah, I spent mm, quite a bit of time and a bit of research, um, describe, you know, learning about like uh, schizophrenia and stuff. And I also, I realised that like it was so close to being a creative person. So. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna see how far I can push this. So I, I I started telling the doctor that you know like this was going on and that was going on, and eventually he uh, after quite some time he decided to let us see a psychiatrist, and it took three sessions at the psychiatrist before they wrote us off with several types of schizotypal disorders. So I was absolutely buzzing because I got my loony license, um, and on top of that I'd proved uh, the difference between being crazy and creative um it's uh the difference is that being creative uh you are productive and you 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 create things being crazy you're destructive and you destroy things but at the it's exactly the same thing so um for instance when i'm thinking about a tattoo design or when at the time when i was thinking about a design for a car um it's uh i can see it in my mind as as real as it could be in reality you know so if you tell that to a psychiatrist they will say you're having visual hallucinations and that's schizophrenia um an example as a musician, if you're writing a song and you've got a song in your head and you can hear the music and you can hear the words, it doesn't exist in reality, but it only exists in your head. If you tell that to a psychiatrist, they will say you are having audible hallucinations. They will write you off as schizophrenic and they will try and force their happy pills on you. So, well, in fact, antipsychotics. Um, so when uh, eventually... Um, they did actually write us off with the several types of schizotypal disorders. So, um, so around the same time, a friend had asked us to design a tattoo for him, and um, obviously I wasn't working at the time, and I don't know better to do. So I designed this tattoo for him, and then he says, "Will you do it?" And I says, "Well, I haven't got tattoo equipment," and he says, "Well, look, you can buy it on eBay." So I says, "Well, you buy it, and I'll do your tattoo." So he did, and I did, and that tattoo several well it's well over a decade old about 15 years now uh still looks great today um so after i'd done his tattoo i was left with this tattoo machine and he says well what, what am i going to do with this and he says well you can keep it i don't need it so now i was left with a uh a tattoo machine uh so the inevitable thing was i started tattooing my mates again um wasn't long before i was uh, obviously it was a lot better with a real tattoo machine and um, it wasn't long before I was pretty flat out tattooing. No, I didn't know any rules and regulations about, um, you know, how you go about tattooing. I just did everything as good as a good as I could, you know, um, as far as hygiene and everything like that's concerned. And obviously, like running a business before, I took things pretty professionally, you know. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm here running about doing tattoos in people's kitchen and that and uh 
I didn't even know what scratcher was at the time, but apparently I was a scratcher. Um, so it got to a point where um, I was really busy with it and it was just getting silly. So um, a friend was opening a shop, um, a tattoo shop. So I went to work for him and um, yeah, um, I was I was, I was was tattooing there for maybe six months or something. Um, obviously the... Uh, the doctors around this time had said I was schizophrenic and uh, I started, uh, I went to see my friends, Doug and Jane, who were, um, they do NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. So they got inside my head and like one two hour session of NLP cured what two years of medication didn't touch. Like, cause I, w I was still getting the, the pains in my chest and everything and, you know, I didn't feel right and the pills weren't working. And the doctors were saying that I needed to take stronger tablets and uh, I didn't want to take any of them, you know. So um, I went to see my friends, uh, Doug and Jane, and uh, I had a two-hour session with them and that two-hour session cured what two years of doctors didn't touch. So the comparison of uh, alternative medicine, alternative mind medicine, alternative uh, ways of looking at things compared to the um, the, uh, the the normal doctor's route, uh, well, the results sort of speak for themselves. Now, I wouldn't say that it didn't, it, that it cured as of being crazy. I'm still that same person, but I don't have pains in my chest and I don't have the same stress and anxiety and depression and all that sort of stuff that I had. So it definitely um, made a big difference. So um, it wasn't long after this that um, I had quite a uh, quite an experience in my kitchen. I was um, I was thinking to myself, yeah, like all the things that I'd been through, and like because I was starting to get better now, you know, I was starting to feel a bit brighter and that after going with through the NLP and that, and I was. Um, you know, starting to come out of all that kind of dark time. And I thought, I was in the kitchen and I thought, do you know what, Richard, you're beating yourself up for all this shit that went wrong. And, um, you know, with the bankruptcy and everything like that. And obviously, uh, you, you know, just everything that happened related to that and my dad dying as well. And, um, you know, you beat yourself up for everything that went wrong, but you haven't even stopped and give yourself any credit for the things that went right. So at this point... I thought, hang on a minute. When you were eight, you said you wanted to be a car designer. And by the time, you know, you, you, you did it, you, you know, you, um, now I wasn't working for Ford like I thought I was going to be. So I hadn't, I'd, maybe I hadn't realized it, but I had actually achieved my childhood dream. Um, and at that point, I was 28 years old. So I was like in the kitchen, I'm thinking, how the fucking hell did I do that? Like, really? I was talking to the wall. I was like, how the fuck did I do that? Because everybody said that I was going to fail. Everybody said that I wouldn't get to do that, you know. So, um, yeah, my head was blown with that. And I just wanted to know how. Um, so this is where things really start to get a bit... Uh, special really because the next day my friend came around and uh, knocks at the door and uh, answers the door and he passes us a DVD and I says what's this and he says uh, 
It's the film that goes with the book that Doug and Jane gave you, uh, my friends that do the NLP. Um, obviously, I hadn't read the book. He says, so he says, you haven't read the book, so you might watch the DVD. So he hands us this DVD and uh, it goes and sticks it on. Now, the 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 DVD was uh, a film called The Secret, and in there was a quote. It's about the law of attraction, and it's a, it's about how your mind create your thoughts create your things. Um, and in there was a, a quote by Buddha that says, "All we are is a result of what we have thought." So when I when I heard that a big penny dropped like because I realized that it was my thoughts that had created everything up to now um and it, it, that's how I had became a car designer and um so your thoughts all we are is a result of the thoughts that the things that we thought so Everything we are now is the result of the thoughts that we had in the past and the actions that we took based on those thoughts. Let's just take a take a minute to uh, analyze that a bit because it's very, very significant. Um, so, if all we are is the result of what we have thought, then all we are now is the result of the thoughts that we had in the past and the actions that we took based on those thoughts. So that must also mean and when you analyze that and look at your life and you think about what you've got in your life and the fact that it's the result of the thoughts that you had in the past and the actions that you took based on them, you're going to see that everything in your life comes back to that. Uh, you're not going to escape it. It's the good things. It's the bad things. If you're fat, then it's because you've eaten a load of pies. If you're um, a success, it means you've you've worked hard and you, you've 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 not given up that vision. So. It, it, if you if, if you really are what you what what you thought if you if you're happy it's because you've done things that make you happy if you're not happy uh for instance when i was depressed guess what it was because i was thinking about things that I wasn't making us happy you know i was thinking about everything i'd lost i'm thinking about my dad dying and all that and um it, that doesn't make you happy so inevitably it's, your thoughts create your feelings if you didn't have thoughts, you, you wouldn't have feelings. And your feelings are kind of what you act on. So um, when you have a thought and it gets to a point where you're getting excited about it, then you're going you're gonna to do something about it. Um, so everything you are now, everything we are now, is a result of the thoughts that we had in the past and the actions that we took based on them. So it must be also true that everything that we're going to be in the future is a result of the thoughts that we're having now. So the realization of this for me, for a start, I was like, right, well, I can totally see how I created becoming a car designer. But also think about this. It was only 12 hours before this moment of realizing this that I was stood in the kitchen saying, how the fuck did I do that? The very next day, the answer was given to us in the form of the secret. Um, so I really started to embrace the, the law of attraction and um, 
I realized it was how I'd done everything that I'd done up to that point, the good and the bad. And I realized if I knew this system in this way, then, then I could, um, uh, recreate my life from that point. And that's what I started doing. So the secret says to make a list and, um, you know, things that you want and set yourself goals and write things down in a certain way. And, uh, so I did that and, uh, the next seven days was absolutely unbelievable. Um, it's quite a story and, and, um, something that I, I, I think I'll save for a, a separate episode really. Um, cause we will be going into episodes that are specifically about the law of attraction. So, um, but this is a huge part of what I want to get across to people, you know, what you're thinking and how the process of creation is this, you've got to have an idea, you've got to get excited about that, you've got to fall in love with that idea, and then you've got to act on it, you've got, you've got to make a plan on how you're going to get it, and then you act on that plan, and the end result is, is a creation, and so therefore, you can create whatever you want. You've just got to, you just got to think it and plan it, and go ahead and do it. There's that. There's there's nothing else stopping anybody from doing anything. Um. So yeah, the the I started to use a lot of attraction, and obviously things were, um, th- th- things things went really well. Um. So the tattoo studio that I was working in, um, that came to a an end because the the guy you warned it was an absolute awful tattooist and still is and um so like this at this point uh, i decided to open my own shop and um a guy had been coming in asking to be my apprentice and i said i didn't need an apprentice so when this shop shut uh he come to us and he says so what are you going to do now and i says well i'm going to open my own shop and he says well can i be your apprentice now um, and uh, we decided to team up, and rather than just having him as my apprentice, I took him on as my business partner, and uh, we set up the shop together, because obviously you can't do everything yourself, so um, it worked out really well. So in 2010 uh, into 2011, um, we opened Immortal Art Studio in Carlisle, and um, so this was all part of what I'd written down on my list Uh and using the, the, the law of attraction and the secret to help create all this stuff. And uh, my apprentice, Rob, he was, um, you know, f- been trained in this as well. And the, we intentionally used the, uh, the law of attraction to create his career, um, almost in a boy band sort of way, you know, like um, we, we set out, we, it was, it was a fully planned exercise. It wasn't just, I'm going to teach you how to tattoo, you know, it was a fully planned exercise using the law of attraction. So, um, the first six months of the shop, we were absolutely smashing it. Um, we'd broken all the cash flow forecasts and, um, the, uh, yeah, the shop, the shop was doing really well. And, um, my whole list that I'd wrote was, was looking very positive and, um, on there, yeah, it, it was, it was going really well. And, uh, so I'd started to, to pass this information on to my clients because I was getting results from it and it was the sort of thing that you just can't not talk about. So, um, I was tattooing a lady called Jackie 
and uh, I'm going to tell you Jackie's story because it's absolutely fascinating. Um, she was uh, deputy headmistress at a secondary school. She was coming up to retirement and she was getting married again at some point soon. And um, I says to her, I says, have I told you about this? And she says, no, you've not told us. So I says, right. So go away, watch this film, do what it says on the tin. And there's a bit in it where it says to, to write what you want down. So stop the film and, and write it down. And uh, so she uh, she got to the bit where it says, you know, what do you want in life? And she thought, bloody hell, I don't know. Now, you would think a woman, that, that you know, in this position knew what she wanted. But at this point, she realized that she absolutely didn't. And uh, she just thought, right, well, I'm getting married again, coming up to retirement. If I could clear all my debts, then I could live happily ever after. So she thought, right, well, it says be specific, so I need to work out what my debts are. So she worked it out, and it came to 32 grand. And she thought, fucking hell, that's a lot of money, but Richard says this works, and what have I got to lose? So um, she then wrote down, I am so happy and grateful gratitude is a massive thing by the way i am so happy and grateful now that i have received thirty-two thousand pounds from an unexpected source within the next 30 days every morning she read it out to herself and um it became part of her you know morning ritual and stuff and she started feeling the feelings of having thirty-two thousand pounds even though she didn't have thirty-two thousand pounds um and uh so a, a, a few weeks into it, well, three weeks into it, her uh, fiancé came home from work and he says, right, I've been to the bank today and they've um, doing one of these claims for PPI and they owed us some money and they found this insurance policy that was attached to the account that um, I hadn't filled in the paperwork. So I filled in the paperwork for that and I've got this money and I want to give you half of it. And she says, I don't want half of your money. I'll take half of your money when we get married. Thank you. And uh, he says, no, I really want you to have it. She says, I don't want it. So um, a week, another week went by and he'd asked her several times and she kept on knocking him back. So he comes home from work and he says, right, I've been to the bank. I've got that money out of the bank. I've put it in the cupboard in the bedroom. If you don't go and get it, take it, spend it on yourself, do something for yourself. I don't care what you're going to do. But if you don't spend it on yourself, I'm going to take it in the garden. I'm going to burn it. So she went to the cupboard saying, yeah, of course you're going to burn 500 quid. And she opened the cupboard and there was £32,000 in a bag. So <laughs> she was obviously blown away and um, he didn't know what was what had happened. Um, bearing in mind that we're now like four to five weeks into her writing this down. So around about 30 days. So this is within the time limit that she put in her statement. Um and um yeah, so a couple of days later they were out um having a meal celebrating and so Jackie says to him, she says, um, right, Richard got us to do this thing and I did it and I asked for thirty two grand and then in thirty days and then you gave me thirty two grand in thirty days, she says, My head's absolutely blown. And he started, he jumped up and started <laughs> jumping around the restaurant going, that was it, that was it. And she says, what, what? And he says, well, I didn't want to give you that money. He says, but I had this overwhelming urge to give you the money and I didn't know why. He says, I knew you'd take half my money when we got married. Uh, he says, but I, I just felt like I had to give you the money. 
And um, so that was my first sort of experience in passing this information on and seeing someone run with it, you know, and actually um, actually do something with it and get, to get such an accurate result and nail the timing and everything. It was absolutely amazing. Um, to follow that story up a few months later, she came and uh, gave us a wedding invitation uh, to the shop. And I says to her, Jackie, I says, like, I've been telling people your story. I says, it's absolutely amazing. Have you done anything else with it? And she says, no, no, I've, I've been too busy. She says, mind you, I did get made up to headmistress. And I have retired now. And she says, oh, there was one thing. She says, um, I, I thought I'd paid all the bills for the wedding. And then this bill came in that I, I, I didn't realise it was coming. And it was for £2,465. So she thought, right, sod it. I'm just going to use that thing that Richard showed us. So she uh, wrote down, I am so happy and grateful now that I have received £2,465 from an unexpected source within the next seven days. The next day, she got a tax rebate for £2,465. Now, you can call bullshit on that story if you want, you know. It's 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 so amazing that, like, it's almost, even for me, unbelievable. But it's true, and I've got no reason to believe that she would be lying about it, you know. She was amazed about it as I was, and, um, yeah, so... This law of attraction thing, if you if you get the hang of it and if you do it right and if your intention's right behind it, it really does work. Um, but it doesn't stop the the bad things happening as well. It just means that you're able to deal with them a little bit better, I think. But um, around this time, uh, I actually got an injury in my hand from, from tattooing. Um, it was because the machines... That I was using were badly designed, and a lot of them still are, and um, they, they literally cause hand strains. So um, the doctor said I had to stop tattooing, and I says I can't stop tattooing. I've just opened a business. I'm the only tattooist in it. Um, so what I did was instead of stopping tattooing, I actually made a brace for me for my thumb, which was the it was the tendon in my thumb that was knackered. So I made a brace for my thumb to stop it bending into the position that was hurting. And um, I started designing a tattoo machine that would cancel out the problem of um, the hand strain uh, with my engineering background and, and the ability to make almost anything from a custom fabrication point of view. Um, I just thought, sod it, I'm going to make a tattoo machine that sorts this problem out. Um, I probably spent about a year working on it. But uh, eventually I had a prototype uh, that was usable, um, went through the prototyping process and so many th prototypes literally got used for five seconds and then threw in the bin and, you know, the, the, the alterations and tweaks and um, sometimes you, you, you make it worse than what it was, sometimes you make an improvement. So there was a lot of learning and eventually uh, I had something that was really, really good and uh, started using it. Um, my hand started to improve, the problem disappeared and I, I realised that um, I'd built something that was really, really good so I decided to actually go into manufacture with it and started selling the, the, the Killer Bee Tattoo machines which we ended up naming it um, and um, I still sell them to this day, I sell them all over the world um, and uh, it's been a 
been a huge long-term project for us. Um, so the studio was popping and um, we were producing machines now and we'd got more artists in and we ended up needing a bigger studio. So um, we, we moved to a bigger studio around the corner and uh, with space to grow into. And um, one of the... Uh, one of the things that we'd set out with with Rob was to be one of the most famous tattooists in the country and um part of the plan was to obviously promote the 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 business off the back of his um social media presence which was literally just starting you know like that was when facebook and stuff started to to to, to really kick off so um it was really at the start of the social media thing so um by the time we'd moved to the new shop Rob actually had half a million followers on Facebook. Um, so again, another goal that would set that uh, I think we absolutely smashed it, you know. Um, but uh, the business relationship had sort of had a lot of uh, strains as well. And in 2005, we ended up uh, splitting up the, the, the business partnership and he went on and opened up his own studio and I carried on with immortal and the um and the and the killer bees so um that was in 2005 um now in amongst all this i'd got married again and uh when the uh the split up of immortal happened i ended up getting divorced again the same uh, around the same time so um yeah it's funny how uh you know you get good things happening and then you get a, a see a bad stuff happen as well so uh i've come to to realize that your quality of life really isn't um it's more about like how good you get at sorting out problems the better you get at sorting out problems and getting over them and um you know getting on to the the, the next good thing uh the quality of your life improves because if you if you're not good at sorting out problems then they're just uh they're just with you all the time so um yeah, so second divorce came along and um, so things were a bit messy. The business was split up and uh, obviously I was under a lot of strain. Um, and then I met another lovely young lady uh, who bounced into the shop and uh, with a big smile on her face and we ended up uh, getting together and uh, things really started to pick up again and uh, eventually... Um, she came into the business and uh, opened up a beauty section of the the business called Immortal Beauty, and um, she started doing um, you know laser removal and then went into um, laser tattoo removal that is, and then went into the cosmetic tattooing and um, a lot of like high tech facial services and um, carbon peels and all this sort of stuff, and it was a really good. Uh, extra extra leg to the business as well so uh and you know she's been an absolutely fantastic support with us um right throughout the whole thing i think working working with her um we were working together you know it, it's it's good for our relationship because of the way i am the way i work so much um she's very career driven as well so um rather than having someone at home complaining that you're not at home and um getting pissed off with you because you're not sat there watching coronation street with them um you know I, I stopped watching telly on the day that i learned that quote all we are is a result of what we thought um it was 2008 thereabouts then um 
you, you know, I've, I've never switched the telly on to watch it again since um, because uh, I, I, I want to master my own thoughts. I want to be in control of my own thoughts. I don't want my thoughts to be controlled by the telly. So, um, yeah, the, the, the fact that uh, um, my partner's like that now, then it, it, it's it's great. We work really well together. So, um so yeah, we opened Immortal Beauty, and then uh, we opened a little coffee shop in the in the reception as well called Turbo Espresso, and then expanded that into a juice bar. Um, one of my one of my daughters uh, came in to to help run that for us, and um, we're still busy with the the tattoo machines. Uh, went to Amsterdam, and we won the. Um, so Amsterdam Tattoo Machine Builders Awards, and we won first and second with uh, two of my machines there. So, um, you know, that kind of solidified how good the machines were, you know. Um, so at this point, we were really, like, smashing the conventions, uh, the tattoo conventions with the tattoo machines, um, you know, having a stand there. And, um, you know, we had a lot of artists working at the conventions that we use in my machine, so we went there to support them. And um, obviously, uh, marketing and you know, put ourselves out there. Um, so that then formed a, a group of people who were using the machines that we ended up calling the Killer Bee Crew. It was like an owners' club, and um, we actually decided to go and I did a little little tour of Northern Ireland because we've got a lot of artists in in Northern Ireland uh, that are using the machines. So. Uh, never seen much of the place so I thought it'd make a good road trip so we decided to go and uh, see a bunch of artists over there and uh, I guess that was the start of the concept of doing something like this really like a, a podcast or something because we recorded all these interviews that we did with the with the artists and um, but the equipment that I used was awful and it was done in tattoo studios and the sound was terrible and it wasn't really usable stuff but um it made us realize that all these people, all these tattoo artists have got completely different stories. Uh, every single one of them um, got into tattooing in a, in a different way, you know, that like there's no normal route into, into tattooing really, it seems. So, um, yeah, um, that, that was absolutely fascinating. And we ended up with like, lots of giggly bites worth of uh, video and audio recording that was essentially unusable but it's something that um it's something that's always stuck in my mind and um you know now we're doing something like this and there's going to be tattoo artists coming on this podcast and uh, some of them interviews are, are going to be rerun and we'll get a get a good recording of them this time and uh, so they'll be on there as well so obviously i've uh, spent a lot of years been really busy and um uh, got to the stage where I really needed to wind down a little bit and um, needed to take a break. I actually took about four months off. Uh, was it last year? I don't know. Um, yeah, I had about four months off last year. Uh, but uh, I'm 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 back working full time now, uh, tattooing, and a lot happier in 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 the job now that I'm not I'm not piling up as much pressure on myself I'm not doing as many machines anymore I don't have anywhere near as much staff anymore I've had a lot of uh, um, letdowns with staff you know you 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 pass on responsibility to them and then they don't quite come up to scratch sort of thing so um yeah I've just found that like with certain things that are produced at a high level like my tattoo machines 
you can't have someone who's putting them together in a half-ass sort of way and um, I'm much happier with me building the machines. Uh, at one point, we went from a almost zero return rate and when I decided to let someone else build the machines, at one point, the return rate, i.e. machines that weren't working correctly and getting sent back, got up to 40%. And this was machines coming back from all over the world as well. It caused huge problems. And uh, it just made us realize that to make sure that the machines that were going out were right, I needed to do them myself. So, um, so yeah, I'm uh, doing a lot less now uh, and a, a lot happier for it. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot less stressful. And it means that I can do things like this as well. It gives us a bit more time to headspace as well as... Um, time to to be able to start something called the creators podcast so here we are um i've uh, set up a little recording studio in the back of the tattoo studio um but we're about to go into lockdown again so i'm gonna have to move all this home and uh, the future uh, podcasts for now anyway will be will be done from my office at home so this is the first and the last time for now that we'll be uh using this uh using this studio so um yeah we've got got some interesting times ahead and um i just hope that through the podcast we can help some people to like i say to promote their businesses to promote what they're doing to get their ideas out to get them some support um and um hopefully inspire other people to maybe take this this sort of path um along the way obviously i've mentioned that um we're going to be bringing into um you know stuff like the law of attraction but i really want to build in a lot of tips and tricks on like what what people could and maybe should be doing to uh uh to, to, to get a little bit ahead, you know. So um, we're going to be bringing accountants in to uh, give you some bookkeeping advice and um, some social media marketers in to, to give you advice on all that. So we're going to try and cover all the bases to help support businesses, not just local businesses, um, but, you know, anyone really. Um, a lot of my friends aren't, aren't even based in the UK that's going to be coming on onto the podcast, but... As much as possible, um, you know, I want to want to push UK businesses and help them out. So, um, if anybody out there feels that they are a creator, I think we are all a creator. But if anybody out there who's uh, really feel that they've stepped up and done a little bit extra and created something special, um, then get in touch with us because we would love to hear from you. And um, if 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 that story is something that we can get onto this, and you've got a business to promote then we'll uh, see if we can get that done for you. Um, at the same time, obviously, I want to promote my businesses as well. Um, so, obviously, I think we've gone went right the way through them. There's the Tattoo Studio in Carlisle, Immortal Art Studio. We've got Immortal Beauty doing all the cosmetic stuff, cosmetic tattooing and tattoo laser removal. We've got the Coffee Shop and Juice Bar. And uh, we've got a few other bits and pieces going on as well. So um, you'd be able to find most of that if you go to the website, uh, immortalartstudio.com. Um, and from there, you'll be able to get most things. If you want to have a look at the tattoo machines, it's immortalinnovations.co.uk. Um, 
there will be Facebook pages and stuff set up for the podcast. We haven't done it yet, but probably by the time this is released, this will there will be uh, Facebook pages as well. So check them out. Go and give them a follow. We're also going to be going on to YouTube as well because some of these interviews are going to be quite visual. Um, there's people going to want to show what they make and what they've created. So um, there will be uh, a, a creator's uh, channel on, on YouTube as well. So you'll be able to get us all over the place. Um, so yeah, um, that's that's where where we're going with the podcast. That's what uh, I want to want to deliver to you. Um, hopefully, you've found something useful in uh, in my story, and uh, hopefully, you can see how I've, I've I kind of had these ideas and I followed them, and I got a result. Even not knowing what I was doing, I still got results. And so the formula is there for everybody to see. You can decipher this this whole um, self-interview, and um, you can see what I've done and the the uh, the results that I got from my thoughts and uh, thoughts and actions. So um, leading right up to this podcast even existing. So um, yeah, that's. Uh, that's that's us for episode one. Um, episode two, I'm not too sure who we've got on yet because um, I need to sort. I've got a big list of people that have all agreed to come on, and I just need to uh, start recording those those interviews as well. So I'll be doing those those from home. So I'm really looking forward to getting into them. Um, so thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, I've really enjoyed telling my story. Uh, hope you enjoyed it too. And. Yeah, we'll look forward to speaking to some more people, getting their stories out and uh, hopefully inspiring some more people to go out and do something amazing. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.